more powerful than you think it can. So this morning we're looking at 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. You know, there are a lot of reasons why a biblical text might stand out in our memories. One is that some of them are just so beautiful. Psalms 23, for example, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Or 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We remember a lot of scriptures just because of their beauty. Some of them we remember because they are thought-provoking. The words of Jesus when he said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You can't think too much about that verse. And then there are other scriptures that stand out in our minds because they're so encouraging. One of my favorites is Psalms 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful for that today? He does not deal with us according to our sins. But there are other scriptures that are memorable simply for this reason. They're so difficult to understand. Thankfully, there aren't too many of those, but the one we're looking at today is one. 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22. This is regarded by scholars of the New Testament as one of the most difficult passages in the entire New Testament. Uh, I don't believe there is a consensus at all uh, about how this ought to be interpreted. There are a lot of different views. The primary reason for that is it raises so many questions. Peter writes about Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison. And our first question is, who is that? Who are those spirits in prison? And where were they or are they in prison? Another question is, when and how did Jesus preach to them? And what did he preach? What was his topic? What was the sermon that day? When Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. Another question, why did he preach to them? And what was the outcome? Was he trying to convert them and, and did he succeed? Did he preach the spirits in prison and spirits in prison were saved? And what does this have to do with Noah and the ark? So this is a rather complicated text. And let me just summarize for you briefly the three primary interpretations that have been given to this text. Interpretation number one is this, that the soul, the uh, spirits in prison are the souls of the contemporaries of Noah, the souls of people who lived when Noah was alive and when he was building the ark. And they didn't believe the message that Noah told them. And as a result, they were consigned to prison. They were condemned there. Uh, and Noah warned them about the coming flood, but they didn't believe it. And so Jesus, in between his death and resurrection, the interpretation goes, went into Hades. And Hades just means the realm of the dead. It does not mean hell. Some versions of the Apostles' Creed that get recited every Sunday in churches say that Jesus descended into hell. Nothing in Scripture ever says that. Hades does not mean hell. But the interpretation is that he went into the realm of the dead and he preached to those people, those souls, to give them another chance. He preached to them in order to convert them. Now that version of the interpretation is problematic because the Bible nowhere says that people get a second chance for salvation. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says it is appointed unto man to die once and after that what? 
comes the judgment. All right, four of you knew that. That's good. All right. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. That means there is no second chance, so that makes that interpretation suspect. Interpretation number two says again that the spirits are the souls of Noah's contemporaries, but that Jesus preached to them through Noah. That he didn't do it directly himself, but through Noah he preached to them, much in the same way that God speaks through the Old Testament prophets is the understanding of that. That he didn't do it in person, but he preached through Noah. Well, that doesn't fit the context very well because Peter's talking about something that happened after Jesus' death. And notice he doesn't say Noah preached or Jesus preached through Noah. He said Christ preached to the spirits in prison. So that interpretation is a little bit suspect as well. Interpretation number three is that the spirits are the hostile spiritual forces who were opposed to Jesus and the gospel, who did everything they could to turn men's hearts and minds against him, uh, who are now uh, imprisoned in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms, and they encouraged disbelief in the days of Noah as well. And the idea then is that Jesus, uh, after his death and resurrection, as he ascended back into heaven, preached to those spirits in prison and proclaimed to them the victory that he had won over sin and death. In favor of that interpretation is the fact that Peter does not here use the verb that means to preach the gospel, to preach in order to convert. He uses a verb that means to proclaim, to declare. So the idea is then Jesus is not preaching to them, trying to convert them. He's declaring to them, in spite of all that you did, in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the hostilities, the victory has been won. That interpretation perhaps is the least problematic, but it still raises a lot of questions and isn't without its own difficulties. Well, here's the good news. Thankfully, the difficult parts of this text don't contain the main message of it. And the main message is crystal clear. The main message is simply this. It is the suffering and the death of Jesus. That's what Peter's talking about. Don't get lost in the weeds there. When he goes back to talking about the spirits in prison and all those other things, that's a digression from his main subject. If you look at verses 19 and 20, they are the digression because what he's talking about is the fact that Jesus suffered and died the righteous for the unrighteous. He's talking about the gospel. And that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to see. It's not that the other isn't important, but the other is not the primary message of this text. Go back to verse 17. That's the end of the previous paragraph. Peter says that sometimes suffering is God's will and that good comes from it. When we suffer righteously, when we suffer for righteousness' sake, then God will bring good out of it. And what's the prime example of that? The death of Jesus. It's Jesus on the cross. He suffered. It was the righteous for the unrighteous. And out of that came the opportunity for us to have salvation, to have eternal life. He suffered once for sins, Peter says. Once for sins, because that sacrifice could never be repeated. So he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, Suffering for our sakes and because of his suffering, we can be saved. But his suffering wasn't the end. This is part of Peter's message also. That's not the end of the story. He was put to death in the flesh, Peter says, but made alive in the spirit. 
That's the rest of the story. And it's when he was made alive in the spirit, that's when he made that proclamation to the spirits in prison. That's where that comes in. But the message is that he suffered for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he suffered and died in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. And that's when he made that triumphant proclamation to those unbelieving, rebellious spirits, whoever they were and wherever they were. Now, as Peter writes this, and he's thinking about the days of Noah, it causes him to think about the fact that eight people, eight people out of the entire world's population, I don't know how many people were on the earth in the days of the flood, Genesis 6 doesn't say, but only eight people out of all the world's population were saved through water, he says. And then that causes him to think about this, that baptism, which corresponds to this, also now saves you, he says. Peter sees a direct correlation. You had people who were saved through water, and now you have people who are saved through water when they are baptized into Jesus Christ. Uh, just as the waters of the flood lifted up those people who were in the ark because they were obedient and saved them, uh, and, and yet at the same time, those waters destroyed everybody else. But through water, those eight people were saved. And so that's the message that Peter is getting across. There's something ironic about the way this text has been understood. What's ironic is that some people are more troubled by verse 21 than they are by verses 19 and 20. They're more troubled by the statement that baptism therefore now saves you than they are by the questions that are raised about the spirits in prison and Jesus preaching to them. The reason they're troubled by it is this. They've been told that baptism really doesn't do anything. I don't know about you, probably some of you are in the same boat, but I grew up being taught that. I grew up being told that baptism was just a symbol of something. You know, when you say that something's just a symbol, it's pretty easy to say, well, it, if it's just a symbol, it's not that important. And that's what I thought. That's what I was taught. That's what a lot of folks believe. And so because they've been taught that it's just a symbol, they can't correlate that with Peter's statement that it now saves you. They've been taught that it is a, a symbol. It represents a salvation that's already taken place. It symbolizes that. It's not really doing anything. Nothing's really happening when you're baptized except sort of an outward sign of something that's already taken place. That's what they've been told. And they've been told that to say anything else is to nullify the grace of God. And to say anything else, such as what Peter says in verse 21, is to teach salvation by works and not through God's grace through faith, the way that we heard read from Ephesians a few minutes ago. So then when they read verse 21 in 1 Peter 3, they think there's something wrong here. Now I want to ask you a question. Read verse 21 again. Baptism which corresponds to this therefore now saves you. Do you think Peter got that wrong? Or do you think that people today get it wrong because they misunderstand what Peter's saying? It's got to be one or the other, doesn't it? Either Peter got it wrong or people are getting it wrong today. 
And if people are getting it wrong today, then we need to back up and take another look at that verse and see what it says and accept it for what it says. So let's look at it carefully. Verse 21. I hope you've got your Bible open and are looking at this with me. Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, to the, the incident of the flood, therefore now saves you. It actually does something. Something is happening when someone is baptized. They are passing from spiritual death into spiritual life at that moment. That's why it's such an important moment. That's why it's such a sacred moment. Because they're being cleansed of all their sins at that moment that they're being baptized. But notice Peter says, it saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. I think he must have sort of uh, saw that as kind of a humorous statement. It's not just a bath. It, it's, not just a, it's not just the bath you had last night because it was Saturday. Okay, uh, it, It's not that. Uh, the focus is not on the physical effects on, of the water. It's upon what God was doing, is doing through that water. You know, in the same way, who saved Noah and his family through that flood? Did the water save them or did God save them? You know the answer to that. God saved them. But he saved them how? He saved them through the waters of the flood, Peter says. Then look what he says. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience. When somebody's being baptized into Christ, into Christ, they're appealing to God for a clear conscience. How many people in this world today do you think would love to have a clear conscience? How many of us would love to have a clear conscience? To know that everything we've ever done that was wrong, everything we've ever done that was an offense against God, everything that we've ever done that would condemn us eternally has been taken away. And we have a clear conscience. When somebody's being baptized, they're appealing to God for that clear conscience to know that what Christ has done on the cross has become effective for them in their lives. They are seeking the only cleansing that can ever take away sins. Then look at the rest of it. It's not the washing of dirt from the body. It's an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's not saying that the water saves anybody. We need to get rid of that idea. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, that we're earning something when we're baptized. He's saying that when we're baptized, we're appealing to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is it that saves us? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's what he did for us on the cross. That's what Peter said, the fact that the righteous died for the unrighteous. That's what saves us. And so through his resurrection then, we are appealing to God for that clear conscience. Baptism is simply an act of faith that expresses our conviction that the gospel is true. It expresses our conviction that God, Christ has done everything that we need him to do so that we can be saved from our sins. That's what baptism is. That's what happens when we are baptized into Christ. That's what it is, and that's what it does. It gives us that clear conscience. So in verses 18 through 22, Peter says Jesus died for us to bring us to God, and that when we're baptized into his death, we receive what only he can give us. 
Therefore, baptism saves us. Therefore, baptism saves us. And we shouldn't back away from that truth. We don't need to apologize for that truth. We don't need to explain away that truth. It is simply the truth. And this is what God calls all of us to do. Let me show you what a mistake it is to try to take baptism out of the picture. And a lot of folks do. I can't tell you how many times I've read tracts that people have written uh, telling somebody how to become a Christian and never say a word about baptism. How many sermons I've heard people preach about how to become a Christian and never say a word about being baptized into Jesus. Never say a word about what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 21 that he says saves us. Let me tell you why it's a mistake to do that. First of all, because Jesus commanded that we be baptized. After his death and resurrection, he told his apostles to go and make disciples of all the nations. How did he tell them to do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and I'll be with you till the end of the age. Go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You don't make a disciple just by going to somebody and saying, you want to be a disciple? Good, we'll put your name down in a book. When somebody wants to be a disciple, they make a decision for Jesus. They decide they're going to follow him. They decide they're going to give their lives to him. And they are baptized into him. They appeal to God for that clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter proclaimed baptism the first time the gospel was ever preached. He proclaimed it to a group of people in Jerusalem who had taken part in the, in the wrongful execution of Jesus. And he said, let, let therefore all the house of Israel know that God has made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they cried out and they said, what do we do? Notice that. What do we do? How do we pass from this state of sinful condemnation to having our sins forgiven? And what did Peter say? He didn't say, well, that's okay. As long as you feel bad about it, everything's all right. He said, no. He said, repent and be baptized. Watch this. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He commanded them to do what Jesus had commanded him to preach. He told them to repent and be baptized and no exceptions, every one of them in the name of Jesus to have their sins washed away and they would receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul continues that when he says in Galatians that baptism is how we put on Christ. In Galatians 3 and verse 26, Paul says we are all sons of God through faith. Get that? We are all sons of God through faith. We're all sons of God because we put our trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did when he died on the cross and the fact that he was raised from the dead. But the next verse says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Can you be saved without putting on Christ? Do you want to go and stand before God not having put on Christ? Do you believe you can be forgiven of your sins without putting on Christ? Are you that good? Or is it true what Paul said, that we're all children of God through faith and that as many of us as have been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ? 
In Romans 6, when somebody raised the question, they said, well, if salvation is by grace, then should we sin all the more so that there'll be more grace? And Paul said, absolutely not, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? And then he says, we were raised, therefore, to walk in unison of life with him, just as he was raised from the dead. How can we say, let's continue in sin? when we've been baptized into his death and we've had our sins washed away. Baptism was so important that an Ethiopian official, a very high official, was on his way from Jerusalem back home, having been there to worship. And when he heard the gospel, when Philip told him the good news about Jesus, the first body of water that they came to. And I, can you imagine what it was? I really don't think it was a tile-lined spa of some sort, do you? It's, it's probably a mud hole. The first body of water that they came to, the, this Ethiopian official said, here's some water. Is there any reason I can't be baptized? And he and Philip went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And he went on his way rejoicing. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to appeal to God for that clear conscience. He wanted, to, he wanted the benefits of what Jesus had done for him. He knew that it wasn't enough to just know about the good news. He needed to obey the good news. Baptism was so important that a jailer in the city of Philippi and his whole family, according to Acts chapter 16, were baptized sometime in the middle of the night. Because the earthquake that sprung Paul and Silas free from their bonds took place sometime after midnight. And it was after that that they went and told the jailer and his, and his family about Jesus. And then it was after that that they were baptized, sometime in the middle of the night. Why did they do that? Why did they not wait? Because they were appealing to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were doing exactly what Peter said that we do. They fully understood what Peter said. Baptism, therefore, now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what so many people are told today? They're not told about baptism. They're told to pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. I don't discount the, the value of that. I think people ought to pray more. I think sinners ought to pray more than anybody. Paul himself, when he was three days and three nights blinded, not sure what God was going to do with him, prayed the whole time. But that praying didn't save him. And when Ananias finally came to him after he'd been praying three days, he didn't say, Brother Saul, God sent me to tell you to pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. He came to him and he said, what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Did you know that nobody, I want you to hear this, nobody in the Bible ever told anybody in the Bible to say a prayer in order to be saved. And that prayer that so many millions of people have been taught is found nowhere in the Bible. What were they taught? They were told to repent and be baptized. 
and have their sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see where Peter's going with all this. He said, if you follow Jesus and are faithful to him, in spite of all the opposition, you will suffer for it. You might even die in the flesh. Jesus did, but if you do, he says, God will raise you, make you alive in the Spirit. We will all die in the flesh at some point, but God will make us alive in the Spirit if we have appealed to him for that clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus by being baptized into the, to the death of his Son. That's the confidence that every sin you've ever committed has been washed away by Jesus' blood and that God will remember it no more at all. It's that appeal to God for a clear conscience by doing what so many millions have done before you, by simply saying, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I'm repenting of my sins. I want to follow him all my life. I'm going to be baptized into his death. Baptism, therefore, now saves you. I know we talk about baptism a lot, and some of you may be wondering, how does that actually happen? It happens any time that you want it to happen. It could happen this morning. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen in the middle of the night. You just give me a call, and I'll meet you, and you'll be baptized into Christ. We've got a, we've got a baptistry over there in that other building. We can fill it with water in 20 minutes and have it ready. And you can do what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 3.21. You can be baptized into Jesus. You can appeal to God for a clear conscience and have your sins washed away and know that you belong to God from that moment forward and know that you are on your way to eternal life. That can happen anytime you want it to. Don't, don't let the logistics hold you back. It's too important for that. Christ died for you, the righteous for the unrighteous. Don't let his death for you be in vain. If you're ready to do that right now, we would love nothing more than to hear you say so and to take you over there and baptize you into Christ. All you have to do is tell us. Let's stand and sing.